is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. We competed against each other on Jeopardy. Kyle ended up winning seven games. And we've been chatting about the show ever since. Each show we start with analysis of this past week's Jeopardy episodes. Then we move on to a deep dive on a question or category that was in those episodes. And then we finish with everybody's favorite, the quiz segment. All right, Monday, October 21st, we had uh, Ryan Bradley, a TV animation marketing executive from West Hollywood, California. Mononita Noor, an aerospace engineer from Huntsville, Alabama, and Darren Furicano a clinical representative from Las Vegas, Nevada, whose two days cash winnings total $21,799. Looking through the, the categories in this show, I really enjoyed pretty much all of them. Yeah, it was a good set of categories. Um, I, I feel like the writing staff are kind of uh, um, pandering a bit to Alex's... Um, uh, Canadian pride, oh, uh, which I always enjoy. For sure. I, yeah, I, I have noticed that recently there's been a lot of Canada stuff and then they just kind of like slapped us in the face with that, with those, <laughs> with that category, which was fine. I did pretty well in it. One thing I noticed in this episode with, uh, with their returning champion, Darren, uh, I wonder, I wonder if he felt, now I don't know. I wonder if he felt a little bit of, um, competition with James Holtzauer because they're both from Las Vegas and I don't know if he felt like he needed to show that he he, he could also you know he's also a, a strong Jeopardy champion from Las Vegas but uh, if you noticed he did the same kind of strategy starting with the thousand dollar clues that's right yes he started down with the thousand dollar clues and then uh, it seemed like they jumped around quite a bit on the board, but it seemed like he was he was trying to do that same kind of work from the bottom up. Yeah, and um, and I'm I'm gonna say this, and I mean no disparagement to any of the contestants that are on the show, but uh, I've had this conversation with a lot of people about that particular strategy, and that strategy wouldn't work for me, and I don't think it really would work for most people, even most Jeopardy contestants, uh, mm-hmm. because that. That strategy requires you to to be able to know the answer to all of those uh, high high dollar amount clues without the benefit of having gone through the category before to kind of guide your thinking. Right. Those higher clues on the board, the lower value ones, sort of contextualize mm-hmm. uh, the category, and I feel like they get you started thinking in the right direction. So that for those harder questions. Um, you're maybe primed, you have a good understanding of the category, maybe some of the obvious answers could have been ruled out, and you're, you're more likely to be able to get the, uh, the correct response for those $800,000 clues. Um, yeah. Uh, of those $1,000 clues, um, two of them, well, one was a triple, triple stumper, uh, one was a daily double that uh, Darren missed. Uh, so that's right there that was uh, a total of four thousand six hundred uh dollars like negative across the board mm-hmm. because all three of them or no two sorry i missed a thousand uh three thousand six hundred because two of them missed the thousand dollar clue in musical legends and then 
the thousand dollar in quotable notables was um was the daily double that that darren missed so that was a lot of money negative and i think part of that is because they were trying to start with those high value clues yeah it's a it's a volatile strategy um and uh, people sometimes wonder why everyone doesn't do it and i feel like this is uh this is sort of why everyone doesn't do it is because it can backfire pretty seriously yeah that strategy would not work for me i have to get into the category um which anyone who if you go back and watch my shows i was a very very strict top to bottom stick to the category player yeah yeah that way works uh i think works better for me as well I enjoyed the uh, the eight hundred dollar clue in and native land uh, painter with mm-hmm. a pipe dream Rene Magritte. That one sort of uh, yeah. That one made me giggle a bit. Plus, uh, when we went to Belgium, um, we went to the Magritte Museum, so I felt like I had a little personal connection with that one. Oh well, there you it's go. It's a cool yeah. museum. Oh, I'm sure it is. Uh, I yeah. would I would love to get to well, really most of Europe. I've I've been to kind of the southern, eh, I shouldn't say that. I've been to France and Spain and Italy and Greece. Uh, but, you know, really most of the continent I haven't been to, and I'd like to check that out. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact details, but they have to keep the museum very dim because the materials that Magritte worked with are very um, sensitive to light, and uh, preserving them over time uh, has been and is going to continue to be uh, a challenge so I remember it being like a really dark museum huh interesting yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, so for this this category I loved the musical legends category mm-hmm. obviously um, the I thought the obvious like I've been playing jazz since I was like 13 years old so Duke Ellington was easy for me and I could see it being kind of difficult. I thought, you know, Count Basie was a good guess because if you're not sure of what they look like, it's kind of one or the other that, you know, it's not Count Basie, it's Duke Ellington. Uh, then Mononita guessed who is John Philip Sousa, which I think was just from a misunderstanding of the clue. Um, yes. Because <laughs> uh, she saw a band leader and like, yeah, he was a band leader. Um, he yeah. he was also different genre yeah uh, and different time period and uh mm-hmm. different you know race and <laughs> all of that but you know if you don't know you take a guess that's that's fine yeah um, moving into double jeopardy mm-hmm. um this was a pretty good round for me um and i enjoyed the band that book category oh yeah band books all the way and the gender-free option, I thought, was an interesting category, although it also reminded me of uh, sort of, you know, people's uh, griping, like, oh, we're never allowed to say anything anymore. Um, so, but I, I, I liked it. I thought it was uh, fitting well with my with my uh, Jeopardy So Woke theory. Yeah, and that's, I, yeah, I talked to my wife about that. When that category came up, I was like, wow, Emily's going to love this because we've yes. already <laughs> talked more than once, more than once about the 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 Jeopardy writers really trying to bring Jeopardy into the 21st century, you know? Yep. So, yeah. And I thought, I thought that was a good category. The, the one with, uh, uh, with Latinx or Latinx as the mm-hmm. response. Um, I remember the first time I heard that I had no, no clue what the person was talking about. 
because you know I had never heard that that was a, a way to refer to people mm-hmm. and so they're just saying like you know Latinx blah 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 and I was like what is this what is this thing that I've never heard of so I went and looked it up and I was like oh that makes a lot of sense uh, so having having an option that refers to a group of people without a gender uh, distinction is pretty cool yeah um I have encountered a bit that uh, the use of the term uh, Latinx is like can be uh, controversial within the Spanish-speaking community. I think because there's not a good way to pronounce it in Spanish as part of the concern. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Latinx. So I feel like that's that's one of those terms that. Um, may catch on or there may be a different one that comes about i feel like that's an area where language is evolving right now mm-hmm. oh for sure yeah. for sure i i agree and and i mean we see that in english too um with like the g or you know z h e for like a singular uh non-binary pronoun yes uh, that uh, will i'm pretty sure that won't catch on <laughs> um, yeah i think i think it has i mean there may be people at this point who use it and i you know i i believe we should go with whatever pronouns people say they would like to use um sure right but what i see more more often these days is singular they and um mm-hmm. uh even the uh sort of strict uh prescriptivist grammarians seem to be coming around on singular they Sure, because really in the in the uh, you know in the vernacular, they has been used as a singular pronoun for a long time. It just isn't you know hasn't been technically correct or whatever. But yeah, that is nice to see. It's it's encouraging. I know I've noticed this a lot more, and maybe it's I don't know if <clears throat> I don't know if it's Alex so much because it I guess it is dependent on Alex. Uh, but that the sixteen hundred dollar clue in the birds category. Um, the correct response was trumpeter swan mm-hmm. and Ryan's first response was trumpet swan and then there was a pause and he changed it which I know Alex like plenty of times like kind of gives you some time to to fix it if you're close but not right mm-hmm. but I've noticed it more often recently that he he seems to be giving people more time than maybe he would have in years past um, rather than just saying no right away <laughs> if yes. it's wrong. And you're, you're allowed to change your answer for, you know, as, as we know, they tell us that... Um, until you have a ruling, right? Mm-hmm. Until, until yeah. Alex has ruled you incorrect, you can change your answer. Um, so I, that just stuck in my mind as something like, oh yeah, I have noticed that a lot more recently. And I don't know why. Maybe, maybe he's feeling more, uh, you know, empathetic or or patient nowadays uh okay we should probably we should move so much faster sorry oh okay. yeah we should um but i bet that you knew the final jeopardy clue. oh you know i did oh yeah i also am i i was flabbergasted that this was a question they asked because like golden is a good guess that's a really good guess based on just yeah. like kind of figuring it's in colorado because of the altitude and and mining uh, it's you know named kinda after an ore, and if you don't basically live in kind of the the front range of the Colorado Rockies, like like I do, that's a hard one to kind of figure out. Or unless you're just particularly knowledgeable about mining, which some people are. And again, trivia is 
you know, you know it or you don't usually. But I, I did not think that was one that you could figure out. Yeah, I had not heard of that city. And so I, I think I would have guessed Golden. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that seemed like a hard one. Yeah, and especially calling it a, a city. Like, I'm not throwing any shade at Leadville. Leadville's a lo- lovely place. But it's not very big. I mean, I guess if it, you know, whatever rules determine whether you can call yourself a city or a township or whatever, it's probably technically a city. And there's, you know, this is probably just griping over nothing. But I'm not the only one I've seen, you know, in, in the, in, in the uh, internet world, people saying like, I don't know, Leadville doesn't, like, its population doesn't necessarily strike me as city so much as mountain town. And that's kind of what I was yeah. thinking too. I mean, it's a good question. It's just, it seemed really hard to me. It, it seemed hard for a final Jeopardy, and indeed we did see a triple stumper on that one. Yeah, that one I don't, I don't mind. There, there have been some triple stumpers recently that I've been like, oh, huh, that I've been surprised that nobody got on the show. But that one, that one did not surprise me. Yeah. Um, which let uh, Ryan win from mm-hmm. second place. From second place, yeah. Taking us... Uh, going, he went into Final Jeopardy in second place, um, and uh, and since it was a trip, triple stumper, he got the win, um, which takes us into Tuesday. Yeah. So we have Ryan Bradley coming back, uh, and then Martha Bordonia, from uh, an attorney from Indian Trail, North Carolina, and Andre Havrulershin. <clears throat> A PhD Johnny student. Gilbert's job is harder than we thought. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, man. He earns his pay. Uh, a PhD student from Irmo, South Carolina. So we got a couple of, couple of East Coasters and a West Coaster on this game. I appreciated the, the, uh, the writers throwing a little shade at the giving tree. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. The clue was Shell Silverstein's The Giving Tree gives these fruits and more to a thoughtless boy. boy. Yeah, yeah. The the context of of The Giving Tree is like really important. Yeah, if you're if you're gonna have your kid read The Giving Tree, make sure you read it with them to explain to them like the the boy in the book is not really the good guy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like there's there's a lesson to be learned here, and it's not that you should just take things if they're being offered. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't believe we have a copy of The Giving Tree in my home, and uh, it's not an accident. Sure, yeah. I, I don't think we do either. Let's see, what else? Oh, I loved the, the What Do You Love category. It was a fun one. Yeah. And Theophile being a triple stumper. I think, because Ryan guessed religion, and I think the other two were probably also thinking religion, and so when he got it wrong, they were like, wait wait they were probably just scared to ring in to me the the answer of god seemed like like it, it made a lot of sense given that it was theo but i guess if you're thinking like that's kind of synonymous with religion or god and that prefix then i could see how that could make you a little gun shy it's related to theology right mm-hmm. uh, the the study of god right. um, and you may not know that the gospel according to luke is uh written um initially the the opening uh is addressed to um, a figure named Theophilus, um, mm-hmm. 
we don't know whether that just happened to be someone's name. Uh, it means God lover, uh, as as we learned in uh, in that clue. And uh, we don't know if that happened to be someone's name, or it's also possible that you know, since it's uh, an account of Jesus's life, it is addressed to uh, those who love God more generally. Interesting. Um, hmm. All right, that was a that was a serious nerd tangent. Oh sure, but hey. <laughs> Allow me to move on to Double Jeopardy and go into yeah, my tangent of classical music. Oh, that was a good category. It was a good category. I loved it so much. But that's because because I know it. Uh, the double, uh, the Daily Double, I was obviously, again, when I make comments like this, I want our listeners to know that I'm not, like, I'm not trying to throw shade at anybody or criticize anybody who's on the show, especially since sometimes when you're on the show, you know something and you just can't pull it. And that... It just happens. Like, we all, anyone who's been on knows that, and it's totally fine. But the Daily Double, the 1812 Overture, I, that, has, that is one of Jeopardy! writers' favorite, like, pieces of music to include for anything. I know, like, pretty much any time there's a classical music category, 1812 Overture is going to come up, it seems like. Yeah, not, not knowing that to me was, like, a big, I, th- I thought for sure, so I'm sure she's got it. Uh, and then and then she didn't, which... Yeah, that was a rough one. Um, I did not know that Haydn helped to create the orchestral form of the symphony. Oh, yeah. He's the, he's the father yeah. of the symphony. So um, I'll try to be less than 60 seconds on this. Uh, I took a, a course in grad school called History of Symphonic Literature, so all we studied were symphonies. Um, and so in the like 30 or so years before Haydn started writing, some, some like precursors to the symphony were starting. Um, but he really just took those and, and, and brought it to a new level. He wrote, like it says, more than 100 uh, symphonies, by far the most. And his, his lifespan was so long. Like, he was an adult and a, an important composer by the time uh, Mozart was born. And then Mozart studied with him for a little while. And then Mozart wrote 40 or so symphonies. And then he died. And Haydn was still alive and continued to write more symphonies for another, like, 10 years or so before Haydn died. Wow. Yeah. Haydn was incredibly prolific and actually like a lot more important than he is often recognized as. Well, I shouldn't say that. He's recognized as important, but Mozart kind of overshadowed him just because Mozart's Mozart was clearly the best of that time period. Like he wrote the greatest music and that's hard to argue against, but Haydn was I would say on equal footing with him in terms of importance and influence. Mm. It was a great category. Um and nice to have more context about Haydn and symphonies, so thank you. Yeah, and then, yeah. yeah, so Joseph Haydn was a composer, and his brother Michael Haydn was also a composer. Um, so if there are Jeopardy clues about Haydn, they would probably want you to specify Joseph Haydn. Huh. Yeah. I'm not sure I've ever heard of Michael Haydn. It's because he wasn't as good. Yeah. And he's not around to argue with me, so I can say that. I thought... That giving away the movie's ending was a deceptively tricky category. Yes. Uh, yeah. Because you, you have five seconds to get through the title in your head and get to the last word. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they managed to pull it off on every single one of them, but mm-hmm. it always looked like they were sort of scrambling to like get the name of the movie, get through it in their head, and get to the last word. Sure. Which, I mean, that happens in a number of categories when you have your, you know, rhyme times and kind of, yeah, these, these kind of tricky 
questions where, where you have to do a little bit of wordplay and a little bit of work rather than just pulling a fact. Yes. But I really enjoyed it. I thought that was very, it was fun to do. Yeah, it was, it was an enjoyable one. And once again, so Alex uh, noted at the end of the week that there was a different champion each evening. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so once again, uh, we had the, uh, the person, we had a, we had the person going in in second place um, turn out the winner at the end of the game. Right. Um, defending champion Ryan was in third place going into Final Jeopardy, and uh, Andre was leading. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not get Barbara Streisand. I guess Dolly Parton. I couldn't think of anybody. Really. Well, I could think of Dolly Parton. I sure. Didn't, I didn't think she was likely to be the actual answer, as in fact she was not. Um, yeah, I thought Cher, thought Cher was, was a reasonable guess. I did too. I thought Cher was decent, uh, but sixty-three seemed a bit early in my mind for Cher. Uh, I did, I did guess Barbara Streisand. I wasn't, I wasn't certain, but uh, I guess, I guess Babs, because in the uh, <clears throat> in my studies for the for the tournament, one thing that I did was just make a list of all the uh, best picture, best actor, and best actress uh, Oscar winners from the beginning of the Oscars to today. And one thing that I noticed that I saw uh, that really shocked me was how early Barbara Streisand uh, had won an Oscar. Mm-hmm. And it, because in my mind... I had never really contextualized her in time. <laughs> like I knew she was around. But... She is sort of timeless. Sure, but if I had to pick, if I had to just like pull a year out of the hat, I would have picked somewhere in the seventies because I, I just imagine her as younger than apparently she is. Um, but yeah, I, that stuck in my mind as something to remember that like, oh yeah, she was like she was earning awards in in the sixties and the early sixties. Uh, so I need to remember that. But yeah, Cher, I think, yeah. is a, was a good guess. And like you said, we got a second place uh, going into Final Jeopardy in second place, ending up winning. Which brings us to Wednesday. Indeed. So Martha came back as our returning champion. Uh, and then we had Nick Rodriguez uh, from Farmingdale, New York. Mm-hmm. And Allison... Uh, how do you say her last name? Uh, uh, from Wellington. Similian, <laughs> I think. There we go. From Wellington, Florida. So the, uh, I pre- I enjoyed the names of the categories. The I bless the rains down in Africa. Um, yes. I liked you know um, the National Geographic women category again. It was a good one. Yeah. Going into the like trying to trying to bring update Jeopardy and bring like kind of make it make it more make it more woke as you say. Yes. Uh, uh, Viewers on, um, I feel like this came up at another point this week. Uh, viewers may not realize how small the monitor is that the contestants are looking across the stage at, mm-hmm. and so they did all ma- they did manage to um, get all the clues from this category on on their first attempts. Um, but so you know how sometimes like you're watching Jeopardy, and they show the picture you know on the screen of your TV, mm-hmm. and then somebody makes a really sort of puzzling guess yeah um it's often because the the monitor is fairly far away and maybe they couldn't quite make out the picture yeah it's it's like a it's not really a um like a 
what you would think of as like the studio monitor. It's like a 60 inch TV basically. And it's entire, it's on the complete opposite side of the stage next to the cameras, which is not really a, a, a great way to like see what it is, you know? Yeah. Like in the comfort of your own home when you're five feet from your TV. Yeah. You can see it clearly, but you'll, yeah, you'll see the contestants kind of like squinting across, like sometimes kind of like looking like they're trying to figure something out. So that that can uh, that can mess contestants up, and then it doesn't sort of always make sense to the to to viewers watching it on TV. Um, uh, but I loved that category. Um, uh, Maya Lynn has been coming up a lot in trivia recently. Yes. I feel um, mm-hmm. uh, who designed the Vietnam War Memorial. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna correct you there. Not to be rude, but it is the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, and she's very. It is the Vietnam. Yeah, and she's very clear about the name of it not being dedicated to the Vietnam War. Yeah, I was about to say veterans, and then I thought it has all the names of the war dead, and so I'm not sure if that's correct. But and yes, Vietnam Veterans Memorial. Thank you. Um, and uh, as happens. I feel so often on Jeopardy, we have we have the contestants avoiding the Africa category like the plague. Uh, I think it was yeah they 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 cleared the entire board except for that category uh, uh, before starting in on it, um, which, which is so sad to me. I mean, and, yeah. and you've pointed out, and it obviously is like a a cultural issue that we have in the Western world and particularly like European white world of just just ignoring Africa, which is sad because there's like, it is equally rich in its history and culture to any other part of the world. Yes. Um, so, but I think it's, you know, uh, it's pretty common. I don't want to, you know, cast aspersions at these particular contestants. Um, oh, sure. But, you know, clearly we are, we are all a little intimidated by African geography and history. Yeah. Oh, um, I, I am too, yeah. for sure. Yeah. If oh, it, yes. And me. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to be like, I'm, you know, holier than thou or whatever about it it's i 100 percent have this would have probably had the same reaction and uh oh and the triple stumper on the rainbow which was the the 200 dollar clue in i bless the rains sometimes oh. something just feels feels a little too obvious and mm-hmm. nobody goes for it yeah yeah, yeah. Anyway. uh cool let's let's move on to double jeopardy yeah, yeah. um so I feel really good about geography in general. I feel like that's one of my strong suits. And I feel really, 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 really bad about poetry. It's like my weakest area. And there has been poetry categories like every other day. It's like the writers know that I am bad at poetry and they are specifically targeting me to make me angry and remind me that I should study poetry more. Yeah, it was sort of a weird double jeopardy round. Um... I don't know, like, I would, I guess I, what am I trying to say? That many of the categories were on the super narrow side. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree. Interesting. Clues, yeah, it though. was, it was good. It was very interesting. It was, a uh, for me, more difficult than, than normal. I missed more in this uh, particular double jeopardy than I do on a, a like a, any given game. Oh yeah, I, I had a rough uh, I had a rough double jeopardy too. I'm looking at my my little tracking sheet, um, and uh, my Coriat score for double jeopardy uh, was nine thousand two hundred. Um, 
where my typical is around in the 15,000 to 20,000 range. Um, so yeah, yeah, tough round. I don't, I don't really keep track of my core yet. I just keep track of whether I get stuff right or wrong. But the contestants did reasonably yeah. well yeah. with it. Not a whole lot of wrong answers. A few mm-hmm. triple stumpers. Mm-hmm. Oh, Zomboy. Oh, I yeah. I, I got that one. Yeah. I, I did not, but now I know a fun new word. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. something. Um, I, I think I know that just because I am a, a quintessential nerd and have run some Dungeons & Dragons uh, sessions. And so that sort of, that sort of word comes oh. up sometimes. I... Uh, I have not played Dungeons and Dragons, although I, yeah, I, I, I would self-identify as a nerd. I'm just not, you know, not that particular variety yet. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was that was a fun one. And then I am actually good at poetry, although not great at geography. Um, and uh, I had a hard time with that poetry and geography category. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, uh, the $1,200 clue. Longfellow's line, all the shores of Gitche from the Song of Hiawatha refers to this great lake. I associate Longfellow more with yeah. New England, although maybe that's wrong. No, um, I, I think I think so too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so I had a hard time figuring out uh, what great lake I should be thinking Superior of. Superior being the farthest west was, it was surprising to me. Yeah, I did. I, now that you say that, I was I was going through them in my head trying to think which was the furthest east, um, for that reason. That you know, I know none of them are uh, actually in or near New England, but I figured you know the further east, the more likely it was to be right. Um, maybe doesn't yeah. make that much sense, but anyway, yeah, that was. I thought I would. I thought I would do well in that category, yeah. and I did not. And that, like, like I said, I'm bad at poetry, so like I don't know the. Um, Song of Hiawatha really all that well um, but yeah that that clue again it surprised me not only because it's so far west and I think of Longfellow's East but like I know Hiawatha was part of the Iroquois which covered a large spans but uh, I always think of the Mohawk like his tribe as being like significantly closer to the coast than that so um, and then moving into mm-hmm. Final Jeopardy um, we had another triple yeah. stumper um, and I guessed Sam Spade. Um, I, yeah, I guess because I had no idea. I guessed Poirot, but I knew that was wrong. <laughs> but I was like, I am not coming up with anybody else. Yeah, that's that's not a bad guess. Um, yeah, he said it's the Thin Man series, which um, is on my very, 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 very long list of books that I need to read. Yes, um, I feel like maybe I should put it on mine. Allison um, went in with the lead and did not make a cover bet. Yeah, yeah. Right? Which yeah. was weird. <laughs> it's a strategic error. And on the other hand, she's the returning champion. So, you know, it's hard right. to argue and with that's, winning. I mean, part of it is like results are more important than strategy if, you know, they work out in your favor. But yeah, that was a, that was a strange bet. Yeah, I think um, for folks who don't study wagering strategy, I think often what they end up doing is um, wagering sort of 
a proportion of what they have based on their level of confidence with the topic. And that's the only way that I can sort of explain that in my mind is that, you know, if you haven't looked at how to do wagering math, then maybe you say, oh, I'm okay, but yeah. not great in that category. So I'll wager Right, half like they kind so. of make a double or a daily double wager, but it worked out for them. So she's coming back Thursday. Uh, and we get also Jamie, I think they pron- he pronounced it Tyrell or Terrell or something, or her last name. Although when I see it, I think Tyrell because uh, I love Game of Game of Thrones. Because yes, of Game of like, Thrones. Like yes, yes, Jamie Tyrell, bring it home, High Garden. Um, and then we have Mushtaq Gunja, who is a lawyer from Silver Spring, Maryland. Oh, and Jamie is from Rochester, New York. A lot of New York this week. I feel like. Yes. So. There you go. Your state represent. There you go. Yeah. This uh, this game, I thought, I, like the the Jeopardy round, thought was good. Uh, I liked the the address category. I thought that was a, a kind of a clever way to ask the questions. Yes, um, and I uh, I made that same Arc de Triomphe mm. mistake on uh, on the four hundred dollar clue, um, and then realized that. Uh, I assume for the Arc de Triomphe, you would want to think yes, of the Yes, it absolutely is on the Champs-Élysées. Um, Which I would not know if I hadn't like gone there when, on, a, on a high school trip. Other, if, I, if I hadn't, like, yeah, nice. if I didn't have the, what I, what I call slumdog millionaire knowledge, um, <laughs> it wouldn't, yes. I would have no idea. <laughs> but I, I guess Eiffel Tower because I, only because I knew it wasn't the Arc de Triomphe. Not because I actually knew yeah. that the Eiffel Tower was on Avenue on uh, yeah. And the other ones were good. I liked, I liked all those. I was proud of myself for getting Biltmore. Uh, that is one I very recently yes. learned. Yeah, that's, that's come up a few times. Yeah, and recently. I think that's why I learned it. Because I, I feel like wow. it's been a, a Jeopardy response recently. Uh, nice mix of uh, high like academic questions and more mm-hmm. pop culture Mm-hmm. kinds of questions um and uh to that point um i really enjoyed um uh the the whole celebrity inspired products category and in particular the uh throwback to everyone's favorite drink of the like mid uh aughts um the uh, <laughs> vitamin Bitty. water uh yeah for, i was yes i was concerned uh, i felt like you know writing into the show and complaining that Mushtaq did not pronounce 50 cent properly uh, and so shouldn't have been given credit for that that response but i mean if we're going to differentiate gangster and gangsta um maybe maybe we should be <laughs> yeah you know i just i think there should be standards that's all i'm saying i'm just saying i think there should be standards <laughs> right um yeah but i, I thought yeah, that question was fun um, yeah. and the whole category just um, yeah. very enjoyable the rest of, the, the, rest of the, the round didn't nothing really caught me but I thought it was good like, it was, like you said it was a nice mix yeah it was and uh, then we had moving into Double Jeopardy we had Shake Hands with Shakespeare which is you know they, you know, they say uh, if you're, if you're going to be on Jeopardy you mm-hmm. need to know your Shakespeare your state and world capitals right. and your presidents um, but then Shakespeare is so hard because there's like there are so many plays, and there are so many right. aspects of each play. Like a state capital, mm-hmm. you know it or you don't, but you can be familiar with a, 
with a Shakespeare play and not be able to identify a quotation or a minor character or, you know, remember what setting, what the right. setting is and, or something. Yeah. And on that Daily um, Double, Mushtaq was like, oh, about a hundred. Don't feel very confident and doesn't feel yeah. very confident in Shakespeare. And then he, you know, got three of the four that were not Daily Doubles. So like, yeah, even right. when you don't feel confident, you're still going to like, you might know it or you might not with, with Shakespeare. Um, and I thought it was, I mean, you know, if he's not confident in Shakespeare, then, you know, good. Don't mm-hmm. bet huge on the Daily Double. Um, and, you know, and it played out well. He, you know, he recognized that it was one of the histories. And like me, he can't keep oh, his memory straight. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. every place. <laughs> I thought there was some embarrassing answer bait at the $2,000 clue in the category gods inside yes me. Uh, uh, but allison managed yeah. to pull it out uh it's uh, yeah they... <laughs> it's it's where on the body you would find the girdle of venus line like they're just fishing for a funny yeah. viral yep. moment i yep. thought because i i did not get i did not know that and yeah. i was like there's no way there's no way they're asking for what i'm thinking yeah yeah um, but it turns out that it is mm. on the palm of your hand. Mindful of the yes. time, uh, should we talk Final yeah. Jeopardy for a second? I got this Final Jeopardy right, and it was a triple stumper, so yeah, I feel great that's what you should. I also got it right, and I, I, this one made me think, like, Fatherland is a big giveaway to me. I, like, that's the clue in mm-hmm. the, the question. Also, a four-year regime in, in France is like is also a clue but mm-hmm. the word modern the word modern always gets me um because it's so nebulous like we can use the term to mean right. if we say like modern technology we're talking like essentially things that have come out in the last year because our development in that world moves so fast but if we're talking about modern in terms of like art and philosophy that's like basically the turn that's like 1900 to i don't know 1950 like that's the modern era and then after that we get into like postmodernism and 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 other things like that um and then when you're if you're talking about just like history like political history like what does modern even mean you know does it does it mean since like right since the colonial era began does it mean since the enlightenment like what what does that term mean um yeah i i just and i and i don't have a suggestion for like a better word they could have done like this 20th century regime but that also might have made it given it away too much yeah so i I, yeah yeah. i don't know i don't have a a solution for it but the term modern is always always weird to me yes um yeah i think academics will get very adamant about what modern means um but I think any academic definition is going to be different from how it's yeah. used colloquially. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, Jeopardy has to take yeah. colloquialism into account. It's it's not you mm-hmm. know it's not a university course. It's a TV show. So. Right. So once again, we have a new champion mm-hmm. coming back. Uh, we've we have um, Mushtaq going in in the lead. Um, Allison, the defending champion, in third. Jamie is going into Final Jeopardy in second. Um, and once again, Triple Stumper and uh, second place contestant in going into Final Jeopardy becomes the champion. Yeah. So yeah, we've talked uh, in the past about like betting strategy and wagering and how, how disappointing it is to see a second place, 
you know, a person going in the final and second place wagering in a way that ends up keeping them from winning when they could have. Uh, but we've yeah. seen a lot of the case this week where that's the, you know, it, it worked out. And so that brings us into Friday. And we have Chris Prue, a customer service representative from Toronto, represent Canada. And uh, Aaron Golson, a substitute teacher from Fairfax, Virginia. God bless substitute teachers. Oh my goodness, I did it for yes. one semester after I graduated from college. That is hard and yes. thankless work. Yes, it is. And as someone who relies on substitute teachers, I support you and I love you, all of you substitute teachers out there. Please don't quit. Okay, uh, before, okay, first jumping into Jeopardy round. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, we had our, we had our Smokey Bear category. Um, foreign words and phrases. Oh, I always love that one. Fun. Yeah. Um, maybe living in New York gives me a little bit of an edge on the Yiddish questions. Um, Possibly. Because that's sort of, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but Klutz came, mm-hmm. came right to me. Uh, I liked the damn category, not because it's like particularly uh, super interesting or anything, but every like uh, studying geography for you know for the show made me realize just how many specific things there are to know when it comes to geography. Because like you learn countries and and capitals, and then I was like, okay, well, I know my countries and capitals, so I'll start looking at rivers. There are so many rivers, and then some of them are dammed, and they have different names for the dams, and then they make different lakes. And they're just like, ugh. So I like when it comes up because that justifies my study. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I had not studied dams at all. I, uh, and the contestants were a little faster than me on this. I think I could probably have gotten more of these, but all of them I would have needed a second longer to think than mm-hmm. I got while I was watching. Um, I noticed as we got into the harder dims, they sort of the the writers more carefully contextualized to give a little bit of a, a little bit of a yeah. little bit of extra clue. Um, right. To make them like I would not have known Gorky Dam by itself or the Kariva Dam by itself, but at Nizhny Novgorod, it's like, oh yeah, that's yes. a Volga, and border of Zambia and Zimbabwe is like, mm-hmm. well, that's the Zambezi. All right, uh, double jeopardy. I had no idea that there were that many Once Upon a Time uh, shows and movies. I assumed it was going to be a fairy tale category. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So did I when I saw the the clue, but then it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, every single one was a a movie or or a television series. Who, the title of which started with yeah. the words once which is clever that, that's a clever like uh, writing thing oh yeah so sometimes a sometimes a category is not what you're anticipating which is another reason mm-hmm. to start from exactly that. exactly um, uh, oh one thing in the B to A category the $1200 clue uh, we heard the sounds of the balalaika a class I took in grad school was like was essentially eth- was ethnomusicology studying music like traditional music of the world and one of the projects we had to do was learn uh, like a traditional instrument from somewhere else. And so I chose the balalaika. And it is hard. It's a, it's a three-string instrument. And it is hard to play. The, the technique that they use huh. is so bizarre. Because they like wrap their thumb around the neck. And so they, you, pl- you, hold, you play the lower string with your thumb. And then you reach your fingers around to the other two strings. And it, it, was, it, was, it was so much harder than I anticipated. 
Yeah, I, I was not familiar with the instrument at all um, and couldn't quite bring the word to mind, although I remembered that it yeah. had four syllables. Uh, uh, on the, uh, the Daily Double, Daily Double number three, um, uh, at the at the sixteen hundred dollar spot in the mm-hmm. animal community, um, uh, that was one that my that my kids could have gotten. I think if they were in the room, um, because they are really into uh, the How to Train Your Dragon oh. Netflix series, um, where the dragons imprint mm-hmm. on their riders. And we've been there's been a lot of let's pretend that I'm a little dragon and I'm mm-hmm. imprinting on you. Uh, play in my house recently. Um, so yeah, uh, Conler- Conrad Lorenz found that newly hatched ducklings followed him due to this eye process, as if he were their parent. And I said, "Oh, my four-year-old <laughs> taught me this one." Well, no, I think I would have known sure. it before that, but uh, it came right to yeah. mind because of that. Um, uh, and finally, we have people getting the answer right in Final Jeopardy. Yeah, the response yes. right in Final Jeopardy. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> it happened. Yeah, which was which was good to see because I, I felt like that one was uh, easier than the other than others had been this week uh, and more gettable. So that was nice to see. But I mean, Chris obviously had it locked out, so didn't matter a ton. But it was still nice. To see. And I got that because you know the women's history questions. I do find sure usually. I not always. even I got it. And being a white man, it's hard for me to know things about people who are not white men. <laughs> well, why bother, really? Uh, <laughs> uh, our, uh, our listeners don't know my sarcasm yet, so I'm not gonna <laughs> not gonna continue down that road. Uh, maybe maybe by episode 100 we can really really play on play in that space, but not yet. Uh, yeah, probably not in episode yeah. one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that was, I think that was a good way to end the week have a high scoring game everyone gets final jeopardy like good questions all around and, and a good game even though like uh, you know I, I have said when it is a lockout it kind of takes some of the enjoyment out of final jeopardy for me because i like i like to see it go to the end and everything and not be a, a, a foregone conclusion but it was nice this week yeah see. for sure and i'm excited to see chris come back and play on Monday. yeah uh, and we've got one more week uh before uh, before the Tournament of Champions T-O-C. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Kyle, I know that you are not allowed to violate your non-disclosure agreement. Can you tell us which day of the week did you go in for your first for your first or only, as we'll find out, game? Uh, yeah, my quarterfinal match is Monday the 4th, so I'm on the first game. Oh, nice. Okay. Yep. Oh, right. You had told yep. me that. I forgot. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the first game. Uh, we can... We... So that meant you get to watch the, got to watch the... Yes, I got to watch all of the games in the studio, which was really nice. Um, so nice. I'll have a lot to talk about that week, because I got to see them in the, in the studio. Um, yeah, uh, I am on the 4th, and I am up against... Uh, Anaki Garcia and Gilbert Collins. Oh, that's gonna be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, hard thing with the Tournament of Champions is that I, I have enjoyed watching so many of these folks that like I don't want to see anyone lose, but like that's how a tournament sure. works is that eventually somebody has to right. win. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I. I, like I, yeah, I can't talk about results or content or anything. 
I am excited to be able to talk about it once it airs. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Um, shall we Shall we start the yes. deep dive segment? Okay. Okay. So before you, sorry, before you do that, I I had an idea for for our sh- something in our show is that the person who is not doing it should take a guess as to what the other person picked. All right. Um, okay. So do you have a guess about what we are deep diving on today? I I had a couple. And I could be, it could be just totally, totally off. One of them, my main guess is something in the National Geographic Women. You are not right. Ah, okay. Um, then my, my second one, kind of based on our conversations uh, right now, would be a celebrity-inspired products. Ooh, that's a, that would be a fun one. Um, but, no, but no, that is also ah, incorrect. Dang it. Okay, uh, what are so we So I'm going to take us back to um, the... Thursday game, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, gods inside you category, and in particular, that clue that we thought was embarrassing answer bait, oh, okay. uh, the girdle of Venus line, which it turns out is from palmistry, mm-hmm. um, about which I know nothing, um, yeah. which is fine because you know it's widely regarded as a pseudoscience, but I thought I would do a little bit of looking into the history and lore of palmistry. Okay. Um, uh, so palmistry, as you probably know, is the practice of trying to discern a person's character or personality or foretell their future, um, by looking at their palm and other aspects of the hand. Um, it is also known as chirology or chiromancy, um, which is from the Greek kairos, uh, which means hand, um, uh, that might've come up if you... Uh, know the words chiral or chirality, uh, which come up in um, like physics and chemistry and biology. Um, uh, unlike those disciplines, though, palmistry is not a science. Uh, it's a pseudoscience. Probably I'm offending some palm readers out there, but sorry, kind of. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the uh, word science has particular meaning and yeah. If, if it's offensive, yeah. we apologize, but eh. yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, so palmistry is super old, um, widespread throughout uh, the Eurasian landmass. Um, there are traditions attested in India and China, among the Roma people, um, Egypt, Mesopotamia. Um, uh, some historians think it may have originally... Uh, started in India and spread from there. It seems like there are enough connections among those various uh, palmistry uh, disciplines that that they likely have a common root. Um, So if you're looking at your palm, um, a quick guide to like what palm readers are looking at, um, most will read your dominant hand, um, although there's some like different traditions around reading the non-dominant hand. and there's three major lines on most palms. Um, so there's like a top one that goes kind of underneath your fingers. Um, that's the heart line. And they'll say it's connected to like emotional or romantic aspects of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, the headline is the one that kind of goes kind of diagonally down the middle. Um, and that is connected with like intellect and communication. Um, and then the lifeline is the one that kind of curves around the base of your thumb and down to the wrist. 
Um, and that's connected with physical health, but also is supposed to like reflect major life changes. Hmm. Um, there's a variation called the semi increase where there's just one line instead of the two separate heart and head lines. Hmm. Um, and that's supposed to in- indicate someone who is single minded and intense. Um, that clue that came up that I, that I missed, uh, was the girdle of Venus. Um, that's a minor line and there's all kinds of different minor lines that appear in some people, but not others. Um, Hmm. so the girdle of Venus is one and it runs in an arc, um, from between your pinky and ring finger, sort of down below your ring and middle fingers and comes back up to between your middle and index fingers. Um, and there's a number of other minor lines, but none with really super cool names like girdle of Venus. Interesting. Um, I do not have those. Or if yeah, I do, they I are have, exceedingly faint. Yeah, I don't have that either. Um, so yeah, the, a palm reader will look at those three major lines, the, the heart, head, and lifeline, and then they'll look and see which other ones you have um, and uh, interpret those. Um, and then there are the, in addition to lines, there are mounts, which are like the like the sort of uh, bumps of flesh on your hand. Um, and those are all named after like planets and the Greek gods after which the planets are named. Um, so they're sort of like connected with like astrology and mythology, um, mm. and the traits associated with those with those mounts are based on like the astrological and like mythological associations of those those figures. Mm. Um, so at the base of your thumb. Uh, is the Mount of Venus. Um, at the bases of your fingers, those are the mounts of Jupiter, Saturn, Apollo, associated with the sun, and Mercury, going from your index finger to your okay. pinky. Um, and then the sort of the middle of your hand is associated with Mars, so that like the hollow of your palm is called the plane of Mars. I thought that was fun. Interesting. <laughs> wow. um, and then like there's like uh, like the middle of your hand on the on the thumb side, if you have like uh, if you have it like a fleshy part there on the thumb side, that is um, uh, inner Mars, and on the on the pinky side, that's outer Mars. And then at the base of your hand on the pinky side, that's the Mount of Luna or the Moon. Um, hmm. And I, depending on what you, I mean, it's a pseudoscience, so it's hard to like find anything authoritative about what any of those mean. Um, sure. but. But the names are pretty common, and I thought were sort of interesting. Um, yeah. I have never considered my hands as much as I am right now. Right? Like, through the course um, of my life, combined up to today, I have not considered my hands this much. Yeah. Uh, so th- it was a fun deep dive because I do not normally look at any of this sort of, like, pseudoscience slash, like... Um, like they like often associated with like occult stuff. Sure, like it's, it was very interesting to uh, to read about. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, palmistry goes back thousands of years, um, but we start seeing people try to like formalize it into like a discipline. Um, uh, well, no, I should I shouldn't say there wasn't anything before this because you can find all kinds of ancient sort of. Um, Uh, drawings of the hand Um, but there was a textbook on palmistry published in Germany in 1475 called Die Kunst 
Chiromanty, mm. uh, written by Johann Hortlich. Um, oh, yeah. And then the, yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I would not use brain space on retaining his name. Um, <laughs> but yeah, 1475, textbook on palmistry. Um, and then there's this sort of tense relationship uh, between uh, around around palmistry and uh, religion um, sort of throughout. Uh, but in medieval times, on the one hand, we have the church trying to forbid all palm reading as a cult. On the other hand, we have witch hunters looking at the palms of people's hands, trying to find like marks that will be signs of pacts with the devil. Hmm. Um, some conflict. Well, you there. know what they say, uh, what they say, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. <laughs> yeah. Um, in more recent history, um, uh, there is this guy in France, uh, Captain Casimir Stanislas d'Arpentigny, um, who publishes, <laughs> publishes the book La Chironomie uh, in 1839. Um, and he adds, he studies like the, like the lore of palmistry, but adds this attempt to like classify hand shapes. Um, which I didn't hmm. get into at all. It's like a whole separate thing. Oh. Um, so like having to do with like uh, the proportions, like are your are your fingers like long relative to the palm or short and like, you know, more like tapered or more square and like all, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, in 1889 in London, uh, we have the founding of the London Chirological Society. Um, so two London kind of society ladies, Catherine St. Hill and Ina Oxenford, um, together with publisher Charles Rydiel, uh, start this society, which they say the aim is to investigate all aspects of chirological analysis and raise the study of the hand to the level of scientific research. And they succeeded, and that is the end of the story. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so they also um, aspired to protect the public from charlatans and imposters who were engaging in all of that fake palm reading. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Not the fake palm reading. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, that's noble. Yeah. So they, so they were like hosting events and putting out literature. Um, they sort of fade into obscurity. Oh, uh, uh, what? Yeah. Shocking. Um, but yes, there was there was this I mean, you know, it was I don't think it was like a huge thing, but it's it's you know, enough that like it is still in memory. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. uh it's looking at I did not find anyone else making this observation, but I, I feel really I feel reasonably comfortable with it. Um uh that the historical periods where there was interest in palmistry, from what I can tell, seem to kind of coincide with the historical periods where people were interested in phrenology, uh, mm -hmm. which was that pseudoscience where they were like feeling people's heads and trying to um, interpret their personality based on like bumps on the skull. Right, right. Which, yeah. again, like as wild and, you know, just thoroughly incorrect as it is, it's people put a lot of work and thought into into that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Um, and it has, it has its dark associations, but it's like an... It, an interesting and intriguing sort of little chapter in history. Right. Um, uh, and I've got one more figure to highlight for us. Um, and he has three names, as all non-charlatans do. Um, <laughs> of course. Uh, <laughs> born William John Warner, mm -hmm. um, but 
also known as Count Louis Harmon, but going by the pseudonym Cairo. Um, this guy's an Irish fortune teller. He does um, palmistry, but also like horoscope kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, wrote the book Palmistry for All in 1916, and he was like a palm oh. reader to the stars. Okay, and, um, and, and it seems like a man of the people, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he apparently studied in India to learn palm reading and then returned to London. Um, and his clients included um, Mark Twain, hmm. Mata Hari, Oscar Wilde, Grover Cleveland, Thomas Edison, and the Prince of Wales, who became huh. King Edward VIII. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, we all know about Edward VIII. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so that is your... Uh, that, that's what I found about palmistry. Um, that, I mean, it takes us up into the 1930s, and then, you know... I, Sort of, it, it fades in popularity um, sure. uh, after after that point. Although I guess you can probably still find palm readers. You know. Oh yeah, but it, it it's it's probably at least from you know, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, casual observation. It has sort of just gotten lumped into astrology, tarot cards, uh, crystal yeah. ball, all that other like fortune telling kind of milieu. So yeah, that's I started with the uh, the the girdle of Venus clue and uh, went on a whole internet adventure. Yes, um, <laughs> and that's that, dear listeners, is us doing you a favor so that you don't have to go on that adventure. <laughs> yep. Uh, so yes, uh, takeaway points: um, we've got the girdle of Venus and the plane of Mars. Uh, probably don't remember the name Darpentigny. Um, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, William John Warner, Count Louis Harmon, Cairo. Cairo. Like, he, yeah. Cairo. C H E I R O is how he spelled that. Interesting. He would be an interesting trivia question someday, although probably you'd have to go from Cairo to palm reading rather than from sure. palm reading to Cairo. Yeah, that would be a really deep poll. I am going to remember, de, well, now I don't remember it. Departigny? Darpentigny. Darpentigny. Uh, if only because. His first two names just took a real hard left turn from Polish to French before that <laughs> yes. last name. I feel like there's a story behind it, but I, it may be lost to the ages. Sure, yeah. Like, was not expecting that last name. Yeah. All right. It's a great name. It is. All right. It is. Let's do this quiz. Okay. Uh, so, um, in the kind of generally sort of fortune-telling uh Theme, I thought we could do a quiz on omens and portents. Ooh, spooky. Yeah, yeah it's around Halloween too, so it's like yeah, seasonally thematic. appropriate. Um, yeah. Okay, and uh, as we did last week, we've got um, five questions. I hope this is what we did last week. Five questions, each of which mm-hmm. is worth 10 points, but some of them are two, par- two parts worth five points each. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll have a final Jeopardy question uh, on which you can wager some, all, or none of your points. Sure. All right. And I hope my writing was good. I have not written quiz questions and this was harder than I thought. Um, it is. It really is. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Don't worry. You'll, you'll, all right. It'll be fine. <laughs> okay. Question one. YouTuber Paul Vasquez asked, 
what does this mean? And subsequently declared, I don't know what this means. Scientists tell us that it means that due to the angle of the sun, light is reflecting twice inside raindrops, but the more superstitious answer is that it means some very good luck is coming your way. In any case, <laughs> what phenomenon was Vasquez observing? Uh, now, I'm not sure about the name Vasquez. Uh, I don't know, but uh, I'm going to go with the guess of double rainbow. <laughs> All the way across the sky. <laughs> Yes, that is correct. Uh, yes. Yeah. So he posted this video, um, which went. I should have pulled the. I should have pulled the date. Um, he posted this video, which went unnoticed for several months until Jimmy Kimmel found it, or you know Jimmy Kimmel's staff, uh, sure. and it was featured on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Subsequently, turned into a really great song by Auto Tune the News. Um, oh, I love Auto Tune the News. It's so good. Uh, and, um, you know, like you can't find an authoritative source about what a double rainbow means, but, you know, nobody thinks it's a bad thing. I'll tell you that much. No, probably not. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let me, let me know you've got 10 points on that. Yes. All right. Question two. You may be familiar with triskaidekaphobia, the fear of the number 13. Um, in East Asian countries, however, there is a different number, which is considered a bad omen and often avoided. Uh, perhaps because the word for that number is similar or identical to the word for death in languages including but not limited to Mandarin, Chinese, Cantonese, Japanese, Korean, and Vietnamese. What is the number? Okay. This is one that I don't think I have any sort of inroads to figuring out. Yeah, so, it's hard to work a clue in. Which, I mean... Which is fine. That's how trivia works. Um, so I can rule out 13. And that leaves me an infinite number of possibilities, <laughs> except for the number 13. So I'll start from there. It can't, I, I assume it can't be like, it can't be one of the first numbers because that would seriously get in the way of doing any kind of simple arithmetic. I will jump in and tell you it is a single digit number. Oh, uh, well, in that case, I'm just going to go with seven because that's the number I go with. It's not a bad guess, um, but the answer actually is four. Oh, four popped into my head and I was like, nah, it's stupid. Yeah. Um, so here's a fun fact about that. Um, uh, in 2000, uh, Beijing lost its bid to host the Olympic Games um, and could have uh, just gone in to try and host the next one. Um, but China did not pursue a bid for 2004, um, and many speculate that it's because of uh, tetraphobia, fear of the number four. Um, Interesting. Uh, so they went on to put in a bid for the 2008 games, which were in fact hosted in Beijing. Nice. Yeah. Um, okay. Eight is an auspicious number uh, in East Asian culture, cultures, just as four is an inauspicious number. Huh. Yep. Cool. All right, so moving from those omens to the show Good Omens, um, more than 20,000 people signed a petition calling for the show Good Omens to be canceled, claiming that it makes Satanism normal, light, and acceptable. The first problem with that petition is that Good Omens was a miniseries that had already been released in its entirety, so calling for it to be canceled didn't really make sense because there wasn't going to be a subsequent season. Uh, the second problem 
was that the petition was addressed to the wrong streaming service. For five points each, to whom was the petition addressed and which rival streaming service actually released Good Omens? Uh, So my wife and I loved Good Omens. We... Uh, I, I have to admit, I have never actually read anything by Neil Gaiman, but I seriously need to. Again, speaking of things oh, you that are on my list, oh, I know, and and also Terry Pratchett, I need I need to read too. There's I'm so, not oh as my... big of a Terry Pratchett fan, although I'm told I started with the wrong books. Hmm, interesting. Uh, I have no idea where to start with that. So when I get there, I'll figure that out. Um, but yeah, we loved it. Also, partially because we love David Tennant. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he was our first Doctor in Doctor Who, uh, so he will always have a, a special place in our hearts. Um, and for anybody who uh, is interested in watching some really good British television, check out Broadchurch. Uh, such a good show, but very heavy, so don't watch it with like your kids at dinner time. Um, anyway, back to Broadchurch next to your quiz score here. Oh, so good. Oh, it's so good. Anyway, um, the answer is uh, they, they sent the letter, to, they sent the petition to Netflix, uh, even though Amazon Prime is the streaming service that Good Omens was on. You are correct. Um, and Neil Gaiman referred to the petition as the best thing in the world. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, so funny. <laughs> all right. I am hoping that I didn't make this question too obscure in the way that I wrote it, um, but you're at 20 points. Um, all right. So here we go. This is what happens when a, when a minister tries to write a religion question. In the second chapter of the biblical book of Acts, the apostle Peter quotes the prophet Joel saying, and I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. This is part of a speech he makes to a crowd of festival goers who are in Jerusalem observing a Jewish holiday, which continues to be celebrated in contemporary Judaism. And the events that led to his speech, uh, including the disciples speaking in tongues, are now celebrated as a holiday in Christianity. For five points each, name both holidays. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to start at the end uh, and hope I'm right about this one, the one that's, you know, hits much closer to home. The, yeah, the, the Christian holiday, I'm pretty sure is Pentecost. That is correct. And, yeah, and the, oh, the Jewish holiday. Oh, oh my gosh. I, I'm going to know that when you say it, I'm going to be like, yeah, yeah, I, I do know that. Um, yeah, I don't think I'm going to pull it. I'm not going to waste All time right. on it. I'm going to go uh, blank. Okay, uh, the correct answer is Shavuot. Um, mm. Shavuot is uh, it takes place 50 days after Passover. Um, and mm-hmm. so in Greek, its name was Pentecost. So Christianity mm-hmm. has sort of adopted that name. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it coincides with the wheat harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shavuot means the festival of weeks. Oh, okay, festival of weeks, yeah. Okay, I did not recognize the, the Hebrew name, but yeah. yeah, festival of weeks, yep. I would have accepted festival of weeks. I wasn't gonna get there, no. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, so we're at, you're at 25, um, going into question five. Reading the protagonist's palm, a character named Mrs. Graham sees a chopped up lifeline and a forked marriage line. Mrs. Graham's interpretation is correct. The forked marriage line portends two husbands. In a time travel plot, the protagonist ends up married to 
Frank Randall in her 1940s timeline and to Jamie Fraser in her 1740s timeline. Name the series of novels which is also now an HBO show. An HBO show. I have I I only have one possible guess um, because I know that it has become recently rather popular. I have no idea if it's on HBO, uh, but I know it has to do with time travel and a person is married to another person, which really narrows it down. Uh, so I'm going to go with the guess of Outlander. You are correct. Yes. Nice work. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I liked throwing this one in because um, some weeks ago on Jeopardy, uh, Jason Zuffernary missed a daily double about Outlander. Uh, I mean, you know, like, it's a, you know. <laughs> no, I, I know. It's fine. You know the things you know. You don't know the things you don't know. I happened to be watching Outlander at the time. Um, mm. So mm. that was, uh, that sort of stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so you have 35 points um, and you can wager any number of them on final. Uh, okay. Let's see. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. 35. I'm going to go with. I'm gonna go with 16, so that if I get it right, I get above 50, because I feel like 50 is what I should shoot for. Okay. All right, so we're going back to uh, a name that we encountered in the deep dive. Cairo, famed palm reader of the early 20th century, wrote of the then Prince of Wales in 1931 that he would fall a victim of a devastating love affair if he does, I predict that the prince will give up everything, even the chance of being crowned, rather than lose the object of his affection. This prediction would come to fruition shortly before Cairo's death in the abdication crisis of 1936. What is the name of the American socialite for whom King Edward VIII abdicated the throne? Oh, that is such a good question. And I'm not sure how I encoded this name, probably because it's like, it's kind of a weird name in my mind for a really just a person, but especially for a woman. Um, I believe her name was like Wallace Simpson. You are correct. Yeah. Yeah. That, oof. Oh, that's a good question. All right. <laughs> you finished with 51 points. Congratulations. Yeah. Yes. Woo, I'm going to take those points and do nothing with them. I don't know. I don't have a, don't right. have a clever follow-up with that. But yes, <laughs> that felt good. Yeah, that name, that name has always stuck with me. Because like, when I f- first learned about Edward VIII and, uh, and then George VI and that whole thing, it's like the name Wallace Simpson is not, not even close to what my mind would have formulated if I had to guess the name of a like a woman that a king gives up his throne for you know what yeah, i mean for sure um yeah i mean wallace is un an uncommon name and, and like fairly androgynous you know i guess um, yeah i mean i only simpson, think of wallace and gromit yeah yes i uh, yeah definitely and then simpson i don't know evokes the simpsons for me which is an sure. stick, but yeah but we can't i mean you can't help that <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so listeners at home, if you got more than 51 points, congratulations. You defeated a Jeopardy! champion. 
And if you got less than 51 points, that's okay. Because as we have said multiple times today, and we'll say probably thousands of times over the next uh, however many uh, decades this show goes for, um, sometimes you know it and sometimes you don't. All right. That is going to bring us to the end of our time. Thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it because uh, as much as we enjoy talking to each other, we are doing this so that you know other people can listen to. So we appreciate you taking your time and uh, uh, spending it with us. Please be sure to subscribe and review on, especially iTunes. But if uh, you know whatever whatever medium you happen to be using, uh, those reviews really help with the algorithm. So uh, if you want to give us five stars, that would be totally fine. And if you don't want to give us five stars. Um, Leave a detailed review as to what we need to do in order to get those five stars because I will do nothing if not pander to our audience. Oh, for sure. Uh, And find us on social media, and we'll be back next week. So until next time, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.